Melbourne Steel. Fucking Fucking crazy Fucking Lockdown The government totally sucks The fucking Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records, and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells, and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, as they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at gofuckyourself forward slash cockgoblin that's cock spelt with a K and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit but seriously if you do want to say hi you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook a Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole podcast or via the website arockandrollrabbithole.com I'd love to hear from you The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode past episodes including the occasional bonus episode that I do and some other golden magic I also have small playlists of the great lesser known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the victims tab of the website Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again and here goes. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to have a listen to the podcast. I hope you find some of these stories at least semi-entertaining, as I still enjoy putting them together, despite the world crumbling around us. I do want to thank a few people quickly, Charlie Kimpton, for hassling me for a trumpet episode. You might be pushing it, mate, but I may be scraping the barrel for topics this time next year, so we'll see what happens. Scott Hughes for his constant Scott Hughesedness. Glenn Howard, Ross Hetherington, and also a special thank you to the secretary and bookkeeper of the Chess Hunt Biker Gang and Rollerblade Club. Luke Plummer and David Flint for some nice messages, sharing the podcast and dropping the podcast some good reviews this week. Thanks heaps, mates. And thanks again to anyone who has reviewed the podcast in the past and feel free to do it again on a friend's phone or steal a phone. I'm going to try and make a big push for something this week and the ratings are really helpful. Thanks again. Judging by the numbers that listen to this podcast, it seems that fuck all people listen to rock music based podcasts. 
the crime podcast numbers are through the roof. So for this episode, we're going to illegally jump the podcast and curfew fence without a face mask on and list a bunch of great artists who have been arrested. All the artists I've added in previous episodes hold a special place in my heart. I'm going to add a couple of artists that I don't dig or don't know in this episode if their arrest is off the charts crazy. But I'll try and keep it within the rock family. And I'm going to keep most of the song trivia to myself this week and just talk about their running with the law and obviously play a little bit of music too. Most are all pretty petty and funny, but some are horrific. Anyway, episode 32, Arrested. Just a heads up that some of the audio in this week's episode is a little bit less than great. So if you know how to fix it, please send me an email at me not care to fixie so no whingy at hotpants.poop and I'll check it out as soon as I give a shit. Episode 32, Arrested. And here goes. I'm going to start with a guy who popped in my head first when I thought of prison and musicians, but not because of him being in prison, but of him playing at a prison. And that artist is Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash never actually spent any time in prison as an inmate, but he did land himself in jail seven times, just staying overnight each time. On October 5th in 1965, he was arrested for crossing the Mexican border to El Paso in Texas, when custom officials found over a thousand tablets in his guitar case. Also in 1965, he was arrested for accidentally starting a forest fire on a fishing trip. Johnny Cash claimed that his camper had caught fire due to sparks from a faulty exhaust. Later, when the judge questioned Johnny Cash why he did it, he answered, In a quote, I didn't do it, my truck did it. And it's dead, so he can't question it. Johnny Cash was also arrested for public drunkenness, reckless driving, and drug possession. Also in 1965, Johnny was arrested in Mississippi after getting drunk and being caught in a local resident's garden picking flowers. When he spent that evening in jail, he kicked the cell wall and broke his toe. When he was let out, he gave his shoes to a 15-year-old cellmate, Smokey Evans, saying, here's a souvenir, I'm Johnny Cash. We've been in several prisons, San Quentin and Folsom Prison and the Starkville, Mississippi Jail, and the El Paso Jail, and... uh, you wouldn't believe it, one night I got in jail in Starkville, Mississippi for picking flowers. I was walking down the street, I may sing that for you a little bit later on, I was walking down the street, what? Excuse me, I couldn't hear you, I was talking. <laughs> I was walking down the street and, uh, you know, going to get me some cigarettes or something, about two o'clock in the morning after a show, I think I was. Anyway, I reached down and picked a dandelion here and a daisy there as I went along and this car pulls up. I said, get it the hell in here, boy. What are you doing? I said, I'm just picking flowers. Well, $36 for picking flowers in a night in jail. God damn. You can't hardly win, can you? Damn. <laughs> no telling what you'd do if you'd pull an apple or something. <laughs> well, I'd like to do this song on behalf of all you guys here at San Quentin to kind of get back at whoever you want to out there. In my case, I'd like to get back at the fellow down in Starkville, Mississippi that still has my $36. Well, I left my motel room down at the Starkville Motel. The town had gone to sleep and I was feeling fairly well. I strolled along the sidewalk neath the sweet magnolia trees. I was whistling, picking flowers, swaying in the southern breeze. I found myself surrounded. One policeman said, that's him. 
come a long while, flower child. Don't you know that it's 2 a.m.? They're bound to get you, cause they got a curfew. And you go to the Starkville City Jail. Well, they threw me in the car and started driving into town. I said, what the hell did I do? And he said, shut up and sit down. Well, they emptied out my pockets, took my pills and guitar picks. I said, wait, my name is all shut up. Well, I sure was in a fix. The sergeant put me in a cell, then he went home for the night. I said, come back here, you so-and-so. I ain't being treated right. Well, they're bound to get you, cause they got a curfew. And you go to the Starkville City Jail I started pacing back and forth And now and then I'd yell And kick my $40 shoes Against the steel door of my cell I'd walk a while and kick a while And all night nobody came Then I sadly remembered They didn't even take my name At 8 a.m. they let me out I said, give me them things of mine they give me a sneer and a guitar pick and a yeller dandelion. They're bound to get you, cause they got a curfew. And you go to the Starkville City Jail, and you go to the Starkville City Jail. In 1991, Black Crows singer Chris Robinson was arrested in a Denver 7-Eleven after a concert the band had performed earlier that night. Robinson was recognised by a female customer who said to her friend, there's the singer from the Black Crows. Her friend replied, who are the Black Crows? Chris Robinson overheard the remark and said, and I quote, if you didn't eat so many Twinkies, you would know who the Black Crows are. An argument followed and Robinson spat at the girl. He was arrested and received six months probation and was fined $53 as he didn't pay for the beer while he stormed out of the 7-Eleven. Black Crows, jealous again.
Here's Jerry Lee Lewis talking about his arrest. There's one story that, that is, I, I read constantly about you, that you went to Graceland, you had a gun, the sheriff comes, takes you away. What is the, the truth behind that story, if there is any? But, but what happened? Uh, Elvis, in the last days there, he was, well, about 15 times he called me on the phone, you know, and he said, Jerry, I got to see you. It's very important. I'm very depressed and I want to talk to you, you know, and he talked to you bad. And I just couldn't visualize Elvis Presley being down and out, depressed about anything. And I, I shunned him off and I didn't go, you know, and one night he called me down at the Vapors Club there in Memphis, about a mile or so from his home. And it was about two o'clock in the morning, and I, and to admit the truth about it, I was, I was drinking a lot of champagne at night. I don't like champagne that much. And it made me a little wild, you know? <laughs> a little bit. And so, yeah, really. And so, to say the least. So I went out and got my Lincoln car, you know, and I said, well, I'm going to come down and see you, so I'll be there in a minute, you know? So I walked outside and Mr. Forbes, Charlie Forbes, on the vapors. He said, Jerry, just a minute, I have a present for you. And he gave me this 38 Dillinger pistol. It was brand new. had never been fired. I still have it. never has been fired. And I, I said, oh, thank you, Mr. Forbes. I went to put it in my glove compartment. He said, no, put this on the dashboard. If you can seal it in your glove compartment, it's going to the law run you down. It's against the law. But if you put it on your dashboard and I can seal it, it's not against the law. Mm. Take it home. I said, okay, well, I forgot I was going by Elvis's house. So you drove by with the gun out. So I drove by and the gun was laying on the dashboard. And I, when I turned into the Elvis' house, it was the front end of that Lincoln, looked like it was a mile long to me. And I misjudged it, and I ran into his gate. <laughs> he had a new guard on the gate. So he came running out there, and I, I hit the gate, and it was shaking all over like he was doing a show on there. You know? And it was kind of funny to me, I don't know. And uh, he said, well, what do you want? I said, well, the Elvis called me and wanted to see me. He said, who are you? I said, well, I just tell him Jerry Lee's here, you know. And he saw that gun on the table. <laughs> and he ran back and he called the law. And so I'm sitting there, you know, and a minute later, the law, about five or six squad cars surrounded my car, you know. I'm sitting there looking at and I was really loaded. <laughs> and I went to put the seat back on the car, and instead of putting the seat back, I was putting the window down. And I didn't know it, I threw this champagne bottle out. The window, and I thought it was down, and knocked the whole window clean out. So they knew I was loaded. Uh, and it was embarrassing. And I said, what are you going to do with that gun? You going to shoot it up as president? I said, well, if you're silly enough to think that, I said, probably so. And that's working. And I said, get out of that car, the whole thing. That was the deal on that. And Elvis waited and waited and waited on me. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drives a man insane. You broke my will, a blood of thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I let you love, but I thought it was funny. You came along and you moved me, honey. I've changed my mind. This world is fine. It's just great balls of fire. Kisses, baby. Mmm. It was good. Hold me, baby. Well, I want to love you like I love the shit. You're fine. So kind. Tell us world that you might, 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 that you might lay down. Me episode within an episode. 
Motley Crue Corner. All four members of Motley Crue have been arrested numerous times. I'll just quickly run through one incident from each of the lads. Nikki Six was arrested in 1972 at a Rolling Stones concert for selling chocolate mescaline. Tommy Lee infamously spent time for spousal abuse. Mick Mars gets a soft mention here as he was arrested for indecent exposure in Denver. And here's the story. Well, we were in Denver and we were uh, just got done with the gig. And of course, we were all, you know, drunk. And Tommy decided that he was going to run through the hallways naked. I don't know. We were banging on people's doors, and they'd open the door. And some lady op- opens her door, and she's like, ah! There's, some, you know, me standing there naked going, ah! <laughs> you know? And uh, she calls the police. So uh, it was maybe about 15 minutes later. Bam, 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 bam. I jam back to my room. Police come up, and Mick's next door to me. They knock on Mick's door. And the cops had come in and open up the door and that's him, that's him, you know, what, <laughs> what did I, so they took me down and booked me for indecent exposure. They click him up and take him away because he fit the description, I mean, we're all long black hair with tattoos, looks like he's in a rock band, okay, you fit the description and they took him away. It's nice. He was, uh, he was unhappy, very unhappy. And I'll mention a couple from Vince. Vince was arrested in 2002 for attacking a record producer outside the Rainbow in West Hollywood. And Vince was also arrested for vehicular manslaughter. And here's Nikki Six talking about the accident. Uh, Vince was uh, charged with uh, vehicular manslaughter after the death of Russell. How did this affect yourself? How did this affect you? And how did it affect the overall band chemistry? It was hard. It was hard because... You know, we, we see both sides, and so does Ben. And we were, we were all, everybody involved in that period in the 80s, uh, living a very reckless life. And to us, it seemed like we were invincible. You know, to us, we, there was no, you couldn't take it too far. And, and I think that something that was going on every single day at everybody's house, all the band members, everybody's just partying and running out with beer and coming back. And just, you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh my God. And you you know, remember in, in the 70s and, you know, well, I mean, even Vince, 
family. And, and then Suzanne, uh, we didn't know. And you know what the cops did when they pulled us over? Hmm. They said, looks like you guys are having a good time. Pour the alcohol out, give us the bottles, and get home. And we were extremely intoxicated, and we drove home. I drove home. So, you know, when it happened to Ben, you know, I was in uh, Martinique, and I was with Robin Crosby and Wolf Lozauer, and I was on a vacation, and we were just down there you know, doing our thing on an island. And I remember getting a phone call, and I was just like, I, I think it just snapped everybody into reality. And, and you know, I, I don't think anybody's ever really recovered from that. I know Vince hasn't. I've, I've never spoke to Razzle's family. I didn't know Razzle, and I didn't. I don't know his family, and, and uh, I just, I just wish there was some way to undo that. One of my favourite Motley Crue songs, Danger. Springsteen was arrested last year, 2020. The boss, Bruce Springsteen, went before a judge today, appearing in federal court virtually. He was in his home state of New Jersey, facing charges relating to a DWI arrest in November. CBS 2's Andrea Klein-Thomas has a story. Bruce Springsteen was seated next to his lawyer, Mitchell Ansel, for the closed 11 a.m. proceeding. Appearing before a magistrate judge, Springsteen was dressed conservatively in a dark blazer, sweater, and button-down shirt. The hearing lasted about 20 minutes. The incident occurred last November 14th, when the 71-year-old Springsteen was spotted by a park ranger in New Jersey's Gateway National Recreation Area, downing a shot of tequila. He was originally charged with driving while intoxicated, reckless driving and consuming alcohol in a closed area. All three considered Class B misdemeanors and carried a possible $5,000 fine and six months in jail. During the proceeding, two of the more serious charges of DWI and reckless driving were dismissed. The rock icon did plead guilty to consuming alcohol in a closed area, stating he was not aware that alcohol had been banned in the Sandy Hook Park as recently as 2019. The judge imposed a $500 fine plus an additional $40 in court costs. 
Another Bruce Springsteen-related arrest happened in New Jersey in 2009 when Bob Dylan was arrested in Long Branch, New Jersey in the pouring rain. Dylan told police he was walking and looking for a home to purchase, but in the preceding nine months, Bob had visited the childhood homes of Neil Young and John Lennon. So speculation was that he was looking for the bungalow two blocks away from where he was arrested, where Bruce Springsteen wrote Born to Run in 1975. Either way, there was no crime committed and he was released. Bob Dylan, like a rolling stone. Once upon a time, you dress so fine Do the bumps of time in your prime Then you People call, say beware, doll You're bound to fall, you thought they were all I'm kidding you Speaking of the Rolling Stones, I think there are nine or ten documented Stones arrests. I'll briefly list the drug ones first. In 1967, Mick and Keith were arrested during a party at Keith's house. Mick received four months prison and Keith 12 months, but later the sentences were dismissed on appeal. Brian Jones was arrested in 67 and 68 for drug possession, but was let off with a warning both times. Mick again in 67 for pot possession. Keith was arrested in 73 for possession of heroin and weed and having a gun. Believe it or not, for close to 23 years, my next guest has been the bass player for the most celebrated rock and roll band of all time, the Rolling Stones. He is also the leader of a band called Willie and the Poor Boys, and this is their latest album. Please welcome Bill Wyman. <laughs> Now, uh, but you, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I guess you will, were the first member of the Rolling Stones to be arrested. Yes. Is that true? <laughs> when, when, how, or how long into the group was this? That was uh, about a year. Mm -hmm. And the circumstances, can you tell us about this? We were coming back from a gig and I wanted to have a wee whiz. So we stopped at a garage <laughs> and they refused to let me, so I did, did it anyway. And, uh, <laughs> well... They wouldn't let me use a toilet, you see, so I went back to the car and then Mick said, come on, Bill, we'll find one, and Brian mm -hmm. Jones as well. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of guy Mick is. Yeah. <laughs> I got, we'll so, find you a place. So the three of us went over there and they still wouldn't let us use it, so yeah. we, we just did it there. And, uh, <laughs> we got arrested uh -huh. and we had to pay about uh, 20 pounds, which was about $30 then. But you felt, like, you felt like a jerk, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we got publicity for about a year on that one. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> It was then we realised what to do to get publicity, isn't it? <laughs> in 1975, Keith and Ronnie Wood were arrested in America after being pulled over for reckless driving. Officers thought they smelt marijuana in the car and they found two grams of cocaine. 
Keith also had a hunting knife, which was considered an illegal weapon. For decades, Arkansas was just a rest stop on the road to rock and roll shows, a quick break between Tennessee and Texas. It was a road Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood found themselves on in the summer of 1975. Yes, Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones. It was July 5th, and the two guitar players were on their way to Dallas after playing a show in Memphis the day before. After driving a few hours, they stopped in the small town of Fordyce for lunch at the Fordyce. There was four dice you know, painted on the top of the edge of the front of the building. Might have thought it was a casino for all I know, but anyway, they, that's why they stopped here, I think. The restaurant had been in Paul Holt's family since the 60s. If I'd been here, I guarantee you, I'd been jumping up and down. He wasn't there that afternoon because he was still in Memphis. I was at the concert. I'd seen the concert uh, the night before. But he heard all the stories when he got back into town. Obviously the waitress, and uh, she... She didn't recognize them or anything, and they started talking to her, and and uh, she she told them that she really liked country music. She didn't like rock. Richards and Wood grabbed a bite to eat, talked to a few people, and went on their way. But it wasn't long before their quick stop turned into an extended trip. Just after lunch, the two were pulled over for reckless driving and taken into custody. Well, what have you got? And he said, the Rolling Stones. And it just went right over my head. I, I, what are you talking about? Tommy Mays was the deputy prosecutor in Fordyce at the time and had a lot of questions, but he only asked one. Tell me their names. I knew I had him then. And uh, he said, well, let me get their driver's license. And um, so he comes back and he says, Keith Richards and Ron Wood. And I said, oh, my Lord. So he made his way into town to meet the British rock stars. And while they weren't too bothered by the situation. Nicest guys. I mean, they weren't worried about anything. And, but at that point, kind of the whole world fell on me. Tommy admits he wasn't ready for what happened next. You know, then the phone started ringing from England and from D.C., the State Department and all our congressmen and senators. Like any arrest or scandal involving celebrities, rumors filled the papers and made their way across airwaves around the world. But Tommy and Paul have their thoughts on what really happened. We heard that there had been a, a report of a car that was crossing center line whatever, between here and Ryzen. And so they found the car. It was a really an ugly car. Police were, I think, waiting for them outside the driveway to the cafe. Um, I think somebody called said, there's, there's some weird folks. After a few hours, the Rolling Stones lawyer, Bill Carter, flew into town, adding another unique wrinkle to the story. The former Secret Service agent turned lawyer was born and raised in Arkansas and had only worked with the band for two years when he returned. He knew the situation I was in as a young attorney. He knew that I was trying to keep this from being an embarrassing situation and to get these guys out of town. And together, the two lawyers got the two rock stars on the road again. They had some charges and paid small fines. My nightmare was if, <laughs> if they pled guilty and I had to prosecute and try the Rolling Stone. Tommy and Bill stayed in contact and eventually became friends. The rock and roll lawyer reached back out from time to time, but it wasn't until 2006 that the famous night in Fordyce came back up. I just want to tell you, Keith's book is out. Well, it was kind of whoopee, you know. 
And then it dawned on me and I said, I asked him, I said, well, there's four lines in the book. He said, the first chapter. The first line of the first chapter of Richard's book reads, why did we stop at the Fordyce restaurant in Fordyce, Arkansas for lunch on Independence Day weekend? He goes on to talk about that night and how the Rolling Stones were on the police menu across the country. But Tommy says most of it isn't true. I think Keith lost a few more brain cells than I have, but... It's about half of it is there's not a whole lot of truth in it. He embellished it. And while the brief encounter may have only been a bump in the road for Richards and Wood, it's now a moment that's become ingrained in Arkansas rock and roll history. You know, they were kind of the bad boys of rock and roll. Well, I'll look up and there'll be a car parked out here under my sign, taking pictures of the sign. And I'll go out there and ask them, you know, and they, oh, yeah, we're, you know, big Rolling Stones fan. It was history. Certainly history for a little town like Fort Eyes. And Ronnie was also arrested in 1990, but just cautioned by police after an argument with his girlfriend. And Keith was arrested in 1977 in Canada. Ten years later in Canada, it was even more serious. He was arrested in Toronto and charged with trafficking in heroin. The fans around the courtroom knew that if he was jailed for a lengthy period, it would be the end for the Stones. He's not like every one of us. He's different. <laughs> He's Keith. In the event, he was given a suspended sentence, told to continue his treatment to cure heroin addiction, and ordered to perform a concert for the blind. After the Toronto incident, Keith Richards says he gave up heroin. Eventually, in Toronto, yes, the very fact that I was a total junkie for almost 10 years leaves me now realising that it didn't worry me too much then because of the very nature of of heroin. It's nothing worries you. It's a very gradual thing to get into. It's a very easy thing to, to take and get into, and very incredibly difficult to get off. The black market, especially in heroin, is very, very dangerous because they're totally unscrupulous and they have nobody to answer to. So you can find yourself taking just one great big dose of strychnine. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean that's why there's such a high fatality rate amongst musicians especially because it is it goes along musicians life and always has done you know because of the the ups and downs the adrenaline the energy the making making the gig the next day when you're totally drained and it's 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 passed on from one generation of musicians to the next you know and uh, Looking back on it, I'm amazed that I didn't get onto it a lot earlier, you know. Getting off of it takes so long because by the time it's gotten, you don't... As I say, you're not thinking clearly about things. Toronto made me realise that this was it, you know. I mean, this time, if I made a break with it and got, got out of the court hassle, it would have been another time would be it. And I was jeopardizing the lives and the future of the children. 
the guys in the band, yeah, not just myself. You know, that made me realize it wasn't just me. You know, it wasn't just me. It was, I was, it was going to affect everybody that I care about. You know, and so in a way, they did me a favor. You know, God bless the Mounties. In the years when you were a junkie, you were presumably in danger sometimes as much from the people you had to deal with as from the drugs themselves. In the States and uh, a few other hot spots in the world, Marseille at that time, not, I, I don't think so much now, but there were a couple of times in New York these people have incredible setups, works out, you know, look out for the cops, and, uh, and suddenly some paranoid junkie would scream at their coming, and uh, a couple of times bullets would thud into the wall, and just, ah, uh, oh, forget it, how <laughs> cold turkey. <laughs> but, um, yeah, New York is, can be real rough on that. So you'd have to wander out among these guys after a, a concert or whatever. Yeah, the next time you take a gun with you, <laughs> that was it. You know, you, I carried a piece in those days. And here's a great song off Keith's solo album, Talk Is Cheap, called Make No Mistake. I love his vocal tone on this. They sing. I wanna scream and shout it. This is just a dream. A simple conversation. Make no 
Hi, I'm Kurt Loder, and this is the News at Night. Today was Sebastian Bach Day up in Springfield, Massachusetts, or at least it was in Springfield's Camden County Hall of Justice, where the Skid Row singer was arraigned today on assault and mayhem charges that could, if proved in a trial, put him behind bars well into the next century, although that is a very remote prospect. Bach has been free on $10,000 bail since his arrest following a concert in Springfield on December 27th, at which Skid Row was opening up for Aerosmith. During Skid Row's set, the singer was struck by a bottle hurled from the audience, and he hurled it back, allegedly striking a 17-year-old girl in the crowd. Bach then leaped into the audience, allegedly landing on the girl and also kicking another fan in the chin. The girl sustained facial cuts and bruises, and Bach was apprehended in a car after the show by Massachusetts State Police. Our man John Norris was in Springfield today checking all of this out, and here's his report. John? All right, thanks, Kurt. You know, it was an unusual quirk in Skid Row's tour schedule with Aerosmith that found them making their second trip to Springfield, Massachusetts in two weeks. For Sebastian Bach, that meant a second trip here to the Hampton County Hall of Justice. It all stems from an incident of concert violence that allegedly took place December 27th over at Springfield Civic Center. That's the night that Sebastian allegedly responded to being hit by a bottle thrown from the audience by throwing a bottle back into the crowd and seriously injuring the face of a 17-year-old girl. He then allegedly jumped into the crowd and kicked the chin of a male member of the audience. Even for a guy with a rowdy reputation like Sebastian's, these are pretty serious charges. The name on the court docket read Sebastian Birk, but everyone knew who the defendant was. Metal's number one sex symbol, uncharacteristically decked out in a jacket and tie, was moved to an upstairs courtroom to avoid a crush of fans. But there were no smiles as he heard the full slate of charges against him. Two counts of assault and battery, two counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, and one count of mayhem. Box plea, not guilty to all charges, and his attorney would not say much more than that as they left the court. Three of the five charges against Sebastian represent a maximum jail term of 10 years. The most disturbing among them may be mayhem, a charge of violence in which maiming or disfigurement is involved. That charge, of course, arises from the young woman hit by the bottle, who reportedly suffered severe facial cuts and bruises. As recently as yesterday, the Springfield City Council hinted that it might try to keep Skid Row off of tonight's bill. That never happened to the delight of Skid Row fans, who, despite the incident, are sticking by Sebastian. As for Sebastian himself, well, he's out on $10,000 bail once again, as he has been for the last two weeks. The tour with Aerosmith continues, and a trial date has been set for here in Springfield on May 15th. In Springfield, Massachusetts, I'm John Norris for MTV News. Sebastian Bach was eventually put on three years of probation. Skid Row, the threat.
Sebastian Bach's incident in episode 21's bass intros and the golden magic tab on the website arockandrollrabbithole.com has a link to the footage of the incident. The Who's drummer Keith Moon was arrested in America in August 1967 after his 21st birthday party which was actually his 20th birthday but he advertised it as his 21st so he could legally drink in America. Here's Roger Daltrey talking about Keith Moon in general and touching on that night. You all know my next guest as a founding member of the world's greatest live rock and roll band, The Who. Let's welcome Roger Daltrey. You hear so many legends about your group most of which was about being banned from hotel rooms. You guys pretty much started that, getting kicked out of hotels. Can you get uh, you one now? You bring that up, wouldn't you? Well, I'm just curious. I mean, here you are in New York City. Can you get a hotel room now? Do they book you? They, they let- loved us. The hotels, they didn't at first. Uh, the the, the, gum, the uh, cherry bombs were not popular because they used to destroy toilets. You usually, see- usually with someone sitting on them. Because <laughs> Keith Moon had this uh, in, invention of, uh, of he'd light the cherry bomb and he'd work out that the timing on the fuse and he'd work out how many stories it could flush down a toilet mm-hmm. and what floor it would explode on <laughs> so that he could never be blamed and he actually blew someone up on a toilet once <laughs> and that, they didn't like that but, uh-huh. but after that um, they suddenly sussed out that they could redecorate their hotels so the Navarro Hotel which it was the, then became the Ritz-Carlton mm-hmm. um, I think we redecorated that whole hotel because, well, because you, guys would would pay, you guys would have to pay for the damage. Yeah. And when they, they, they say, oh, the who are coming in next week, which room do we need redecorated? Right. And they would put us in the rotten room. Right. And we'd trash it and then pay for it to be redecorated. And everyone would just stay off and the toilet while you were there, pretty much. <laughs> Did uh, the Holiday Inn ban? Didn't, aren't you guys, isn't they, it a lifetime ban from the Holiday Inn chain? Yes, they did us that favour very early on. <laughs> So you can never, I mean, I can never thank who is, I mean, I've never heard of a lifetime <laughs> ban from like, and especially Holiday Inn, it's supposed to be like, we welcome you with open arms. Yes. Lifetime uh, ban. You, so have you well, ever tried to... It was to a Lincoln g- Continental in a swimming pool. Yes, it was. I've heard that, of course. And, and it was on the third floor, which made it rather difficult to get out. <laughs> was Keith Moon the one that drove it into the swimming pool? Yes. Okay, yes. so he had decided, i got to graduate from dropping cherry bombs into a toilet. <laughs> What's next? Hey, I know, Lincoln Continental in a third-floor swimming pool. Yes, and, and right. it happened to be brand-new Lincoln Continental in swimming pool, third floor, on his 21st birthday. Wow. A nice and way a to inaugurate it. a $50,000 bill to the band, which is nearly $50,000 more than we earned on the whole tour.
1980, Joe Strummer of The Clash was arrested for hitting an audience member with his guitar. And I actually don't recognise this as a crime as I've done this before at a pub gig, trying to put the word Rendef on some wanker's forehead with the headstock of my Fender bass. Joe was also arrested with a guy I missed in episode 8 and 9, Clash drummer Topper Hedden, born Nicholas Hedden. The lads were arrested after spray painting the band name on a hotel wall. I bet if this graffiti was still there today, they would charge extra to stay in the Clash suite. And one more Clash arrest, and here's bass player Paul Simeon. We set sail and spent two months at sea, and uh, I was assistant to the chef. And I was only known as uh, Paul from Paddington, so it was just uh, as a member of the public, really, supporting their cause. The day that you decided it was time to storm the oil rig, talk us through that, Paul. When we found the Leif Erikson, we were being shadowed by um, the Danish Navy. And there was a concern because the year before, the uh, commandos from the, the Danish Navy stormed the ship. So it was quite a tense period because uh, we thought it might happen again. We got up very early, uh, about five in the morning, and we got a flotilla of about eight uh, uh, ribs, and uh, and we set out for the oil rig to to uh, to climb it. And the uh, Danish Navy were caught napping, and just at the last minute they tried to uh, intercept us, but it was too late. So we eventually got on the oil rig and, and stormed, climbed up the top. And then things escalated quite quickly. The police arrived. Well, the police arrived and, and, uh, and we, we said, here we are and uh, here's our hands and handcuffs and, and What did we they went. charge you with? Uh, well, initially trespass is the only thing that they could come up with because there's no violent situations it was very peaceful and very calm and, and very polite and you were imprisoned in greenland yeah they took us to greenland and then they put us in the, the prison there and, what was that like uh well it was a bit shocking because when we first arrived they let us out into the exercise yard all the prisoners uh cells were overlooking the exercise yard so they were shouting obscenities banging the windows and yeah, just swearing at us, saying, get out of Greenland. Paul spent two weeks in prison in Greenland, and here's The Clash's London Calling. The 
temptation soon Forget it brother, you can go it alone There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs Let's move on. The MC5's Wayne Kramer was arrested and did a few years of prison in the 70s when he was busted selling in a, a big pile of cocaine to acquaintances, which turned out to be undercover policemen. Yeah, but, you're, but you've gone through life well known, but really suffering some very hard times. Which in, as, as do we all. Which, you know? which, well, you, you spent some time in a, in a federal penitentiary. Yeah. We all don't go to prison, that's right. true. And, I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine the, the pain and the, and the despair that one would feel well, listen, under we, you those know, circumstances. To, when I went to prison, there were 350,000 people in prison in all of America. Today, there's 2.3 million of our fellow mothers, fathers, children serving time in America's prisons. And I don't believe it's going to help any of them. Prison is a medieval concept that persists and persists. And um, certainly I, I believe in the rule of law. I, I believe in safe streets and, uh, and I believe in being held accountable if you break the social contract. Um, but I think the punishment should fit the crime. And that's the last thing we do in, in this country. Well, you were convicted of... Of of uh, Ill illegitimate capitalism, <laughs> drugs. Yes, I tried. I tried to make some money selling some powders and potions. Okay, uh, and I was a complete failure at it. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that the four year prison term uh, for what could be could be arguably considered a victimless cr offense um, was mighty severe. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are people today that are serving life without the possibility of parole for the exact same offense. Right now, right now, right now it's time to take out the jails, motherfucker! Didi Ramon was arrested in 1990 with a small amount of weed when he was caught in a police drug sweep. The Ramones released an album, Mondo Bizarro, in 1992, which Didi didn't play on as he had left the band in 1989. 
But the liner notes said that the three songs on the album written by DD were offered up as compensation for the band for bailing him out of jail. Here's DD's great Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech, made the year he sadly died, 2002, from a heroin overdose, age 50. Hi, I'm Didi Ramon, and uh, I'd like to congratulate myself and thank myself and give myself a big pat on the back. Thank you, Didi. You're very wonderful. I love you. Thank you. I don't want to go down to the basement. keep these podcasts a bit shorter i'm going to pop a fork in this episode right now and we'll pick it up next week with part two of arrested i've had a pretty rough week with the lockdown and everything but next week i'll try and be a little bit more perky if you want a bit of a laugh jump over to the golden magic tab on the website and check out a link i've put there for great british comedian sean Locke that passed away this week with three minutes of the greatest tv ever with his seal clubbing rectum of the year and his challenging wank comment please rate review and share the podcast if you're digging it you can say hey on Instagram and Facebook, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. So just at the end here, I'm going to play the new Body Jar song because they've released a cracking new single this week and obviously lost all their tour opportunities with all the fuckery with lockdowns and bullshit. So I'll end part one of Arrested with the new Body Jar single, Get Out of My Head. Check it out on all the stealing platforms, I mean streaming platforms. And I'll also have a link to the song on the Golden Magic tab of the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. Vic, Vic, this is the voice of your conscience speaking. Shut up! Shut up! Don't tell me to shut up, you spotty little bastard. I'm your conscience. You killed Neil, didn't you? Uh, no, no, it wasn't me. It was uh, Vivian and Mike, they did it, and I'm going to tell on them as well. They didn't bloody well do it, it was you. <laughs> oh God, who's signing you on? Not bloody yours, matey. Then get out of my head, poo hole. <laughs> Try and make me farty breath. Body jar, get out of my head. See ya. <laughs>